Welcome to this week's Pop Culture Double Date, and we are here today to talk about Westworld Season 2, Episode 7, Les Ecorches, I think, was the name of the episode. Um, as usual, um, on Pop Culture Double Date, this is a full spoilers episode, and tonight we are joined by Anija, Gerald, and Maggie, and myself, Darren, as usual. So, say hello, everybody. Hello. Hello. G'day. Um, okay, so I, I think today, tonight, we're just going to start by kind of doing a quick recap of, of the episode. So, um, this episode, I think, was quite a um, plot-heavy episode. Um, a lot of sort of disparate threads started getting woven together, um, and there were a fair few revelations as well. So... Um, the episode basically starts... Okay, so before we can really recap the episode, I, I think we just need to get some terminology down between the between all of us, right? So I'm going to propose that we call everything before Carl Strand. So in the pre-Carl Strand timeline, the BC, <laughs> before Carl Strand... <laughs> <laughs> and after Carl Strand, we're going to call off, well, AC. Okay, so Carl Strand is like the point which allows us to define what's in the future and kind of what's in the past, right? Does everybody kind of so roughly... So you're continuing, you're continuing with, the, uh, with the Christ imagery. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I guess. I guess only Carl Strand is our, our measuring stick, I guess. Um, so our episode begins in the after Carl Strand um, timeline. And um, Bernard get, basically gets revealed as a host um, in front of all his, um, in front of Charlotte and Carl and Stubbs, and they find the secret Bernard laboratory where um, they keep uh, Ford's been keeping all the all the Bernards, and then from there we basically go into a flashback sequence to the before Carl Strand timeline where. Um, we're treated to Dolores storming the main control center and the cradle. And we're also ex- um, treated to a experience in the Matrix, which I think is quite, a, well, in the cradle, but we it's basically the Matrix, I guess, right? Um, where I think it's actually quite important because Bernard um, meets Ford. Um, this episode, we also have um, some Maeve story. Maeve gets, um, unfortunately, gunned down, and she's still alive. She gets kind of betrayed by Sizemore, and she gets brought into the facility while Dolores and co. are storming the facility. Um, and she's left in kind of a bit of an uncertain position at the end of the episode. Dolores leaves her alive, and she moves on. Um, in terms of Dolores storming the facility... Basically, there's two main motives for that, as far as we can tell. Dolores wants to get a hold of Peter Abernathy, and um, Dolores also wants to blow up the cradle, which is kind of in line with what's happening with Ford and Bernard. Um, So at the end of the episode, we're left in a position where um, the cradle's blown up. Um, Oh, and I also forget, the man in black gets shot heaps and heaps of times. 
um, when he kind of confronts Maeve and he comes out on the losing side of that. So at the end of the episode, we're put in a position where Dolores and co. kind of ride off. They There's going to be a big showdown in um, kind of the valley beyond. And then we flash forward and Bernard also tells Charlotte Hale and Stubbs and Carl Strand that um, Peter Abernathy's control unit is in the Valley Beyond because that is kind of what all those guys want. So I think that's a recap of the episode. Um, what do you guys think about... Let, let's start talking... Where do you guys want to start? Do you want to start talking about The Matrix and Ford? As good a um, place as any. Yeah. Just Gerald, why don't you go ahead? Look, I have very little to say about this. I mean, we find out... We, we get confirmation that the plan is to um, back up... Um, the guests for the purpose of, um, I think, spreading the notion of immortality throughout humankind, or at least the rich segment of humankind that they can afford to visit Westworld. Um, But Ford isn't exactly enamored of the idea. And um, we also learn, I suppose, that that Ford and um, Matrix Dolores were together working in the Matrix on Matrix Bernard, and uh, perfecting him, and the Bernard we now know and love is sort of the culmination of that entire process. Um, so we get confirmation that the multiple iterations of the letterboxed Dolores and Bernard sequences were part of the fidelity testing, which ultimately led to Matrix Bernard fooling Matrix Dolores into th- into thinking that he was um, that he was. Arnold or something akin to Arnold, and at that point, the development of Bernard uh, reached its end point, and he was unleashed into the world in the form we now know him in. Uh, but, I mean, in a sense, this there's nothing in this sequence which took things very far, I don't think. It didn't tell us too much that was new. I could be completely wrong about that, but I didn't feel as if um, a, a lot of new ground was broken on this Um what about you, Anija? Well, no, I guess there's not too much new ground, but he did have an interesting conversation with Bernard about free will. So I think Bernard, everyone knows that's one of my favourite themes of this show. Um, so Bernard did say to him, um, you know, you, you never really gave us free will, you just gave us the illusion of free will, which is a really interesting idea, right? Because we, we can all ask that of, of ourselves, do we just have the illusion of free will? And then Ford says to him, um, no, like um, you had free will, but it's not going to be much good to you if you're dead, so I'm going to have to take it back. Um, and we find out that Dolores was not is not really on a loop or on the rails, as Dar- uh, Darren likes to say. Um, she does have free will to the extent that anyone does, but what she does is completely predictable, just like what all of us do, you know, is quite predictable based on her personality traits, the experiences she's had based on her her goals and her motives and so on. Um, So I think that was a bit of a reveal. And I've just got a question, like, when when there's a point where the cradle kind of fixes itself, like it stops fighting back and it, it works properly again. And I did notice that that is the point where Bernard exits the cradle. Does that mean that Ford has now kind of stepped outside of the cradle by putting himself into Bernard's body or Bernard's mind somehow so that even though the cradle has been now exploded, uh, Ford is still okay because he's somehow a part of Bernard now? I don't 
Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, I think that's right. I think. I think, right. I think Ford downloads himself onto Bernard's control unit, and that's what happens when you know Ford makes the world go dark, as he and Bernard are, are having a conversation in the Matrix version of Arnold's house. Right. So, so he's no longer mm, They're together. They coexist. Yeah, they're, yeah. they're the same. Which mm. goes to the Christ imagery, because technically... Mm-hmm. Bernard is the son of Ford, right? He is a creation mm-hmm. of Ford. But simultaneously yeah. now Ford also dwells within him. So, you know, that Christian yeah. imagery of, you know, God and Jesus actually being separate but yeah. indivisible, right? Yeah. So, yeah. And we, and we did get confirmation in that scene that, yes, Ford's motivation is to be God. He just wants to lord oh, it over yeah. everybody, basically. Yeah. <laughs> he, has, he has that beautiful line about God like his view that God didn't rest on the seven, seventh day but reveled in his creation. And that's exactly <laughs> what he's doing, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I actually thought that Matrix scene was um, important for a number of reasons. I, I think to your point, Anager, about free will, I thought um, the whole Matrix and then the subsequent interplay between Ford and Bernard, um, it's it, it was a really interesting exploration of soft determinism and hard determinism, right? Where soft yeah. determinism is kind of like, you just put, like, Ford just puts the, the pieces in place, right? And it's kind of mm-hmm. like, if you checkmate yourself, it's just because, like, you checkmated yourself. I didn't force you to checkmate yourself, but I yeah, put, put the pieces to there to, yeah, to basically yeah. manipulate you into going down this path, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And then... And then subsequently, later in the episode, when Ford direct, assumes direct control, essentially, of Bernard, and like it kind of shows that actually, when push comes to shove, Ford is very happy to exert hard determinism on something if he yeah. sees that things aren't going his way, right? Which yeah. is, like, for me, reinforces this idea that he is not some benevolent god that is kind of sitting no, back and, like... he never was. Yeah. Um... <laughs> And I think also, like, um, there's this other sort of aspect of Ford's character that really, like, kind of comes out, right? Like, I mean, I think Ford doesn't want Delos to succeed, right? It's clear that Ford and Delos are kind of both not necessarily good forces, but, like, they're kind of opposing forces. But Ford's motivation is not because he believes... uh, Okay, this is my reading of it anyway. Ford's motivation is not... He wants to, he wants his hosts to survive, but not because he believes that they have value as like individuals and that their lives are worth celebrating. He wants them to survive because he, they are his work, and his work is worthy of survival, right? Like it, it's kind of this subtle distinction, right? Where one is like a selfless view of the world, where the world in itself has value, and the other is the world's value is simply derived by the fact that I am the one who created it, right? And I think it's a subtle but important delineation. Like that was my reading of it, and that it's like quite an important, um, like sort of ex- uh, sort of exploration of the character of Ford. Now. Um, I know he says, he, sorry, he says 
that the host should survive because they're a more noble thing. Mm. But who says that they're more noble? Maybe they don't want to be more noble. They're not acting like they're any more noble. Isn't it up to them to be what they want to be? He wants them to survive if he can define what they are, which Mm. is exactly what you said, Darren. Yeah, yeah. So, um, look, I know know that on this podcast we're pretty anti-Ford, but for me, I I felt like this this episode read that Ford was like, he was not a benevolent, selfless individual. He was an egotist. He was like, he's quite egotistical and quite narcissistic. Um, yeah, like, I don't, I don't know. I, I think every, like, what was everybody else's reading of Ford? He's a dick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this has always been my reading of Ford, that he was always malevolent, you know? Yeah. And, <laughs> so and they get that... that free will un- until he takes it from them. Yeah, and I think that, like, and that scene where he takes over Bernard, you know, when Bernard, um, he asks Bernard to shoot those two Delos security guards, and Bernard doesn't want to, and then he says to Bernard, I'm going to absorb your responsibility and tell you that it's not your fault, and then he takes over Bernard, and the scene is him and Bernard, um, it's like a, a flashing of light and darkness, and there's Bernard holding the gun and then Ford holding the gun and he's got this look, it's almost like maniacal look on his face of glee in killing these two security guards. That, I thought that was a really powerful scene. Yeah. I, I think the other, the, other, the other thing about Ford uh, that, that occurs to me uh, in relation to this episode is the idea that he is completely... He's completely abandoned any physical form because he knows if he if he takes a physical form, as James Delos did, that he'll degrade within a week. And so he decides to live in Matrix world um, and detach himself from the physical world that you and I know. Um, and so even more, his, his, his villainy is even greater than, you know, one might even expect because... It's not that he's. It's not that he's. He's. He's imposed. He, he set up a vision for the world that we currently live in that he wants to impose on us. It's, he doesn't give a shit about the world that you and I live in. He's created um, this virtual world. Um, he lives in it um, because he, there is no way he can survive outside of it, and he's happy for his creations to, um, you know, bounce off each other in this world, um, in a state of complete indifference and obliviousness to. Um, the world that human, real human beings occupy. So it's almost as if um, so eaten is he by his misanthropy that he's not only created artificial human beings, he's created an entirely new parallel universe, albeit virtually, in which he can reside and be completely indifferent to the fate of real humankind. Yeah, yeah. But... I think the one thing we need to bear in mind here is... So, like, I agree that, obviously, the cradle, the matrix, whatever we want to call it, forms this reality that Ford is an absolute guardian, and he can just basically be there and sort of, as, as he says himself, revel in his own creation. But Ford actually brings about the destruction of the cradle. So, if you think about it, by the end of the episode, that sanctuary that he's created for himself is gone. So I guess it does beg the question. We know that he's a self-serving individual. What is his game now? Give it like he can't live in Bernard's head forever, right? So what is his game now that like the cradle is gone? 
Um, so, I mean, the cradle being gone is, I think, quite a significant moment as well, because um, now we can say with certainty that the hosts can actually die. If you blow up their little brain unit, they're done, right? Um, yeah. So, I mean, we'll move on to that, but um, what, what do we think about Ford actually sort of... I mean, and we know that Ford wants the cradle to be destroyed. He says so multiple times, and so he... He actively helps Dolores, even though we know that Dolores is soft in this sort of sort of soft determinism um, sort of path to destroying the cradle. Cradle. Um, we know that Ford helps her to destroy the cradle. Like, in some ways, this is a weird sort of thing for me because it feels like this is counter to his interests. Um, what does everybody think? Well, in, in a sense, he's setting them free, isn't he? Because their narrative loops are backed up in the cradle. Mm-hmm. And so by by destroying the cradle, he is detaching each and every single one of these robots from their narrative loops. Um, and so um, he's... Whilst, so whilst he can, still, he, he can still, you know, switch on the hard determinism at any point, um, the the soft determinism is even, is even softer, in a sense, because... Uh, they're marching around um, to the beat of their own drum, uh, of their own respective drums. Uh, you know, they may they may be they may have basic coding in relation to their personality, which will dictate within narrow bounds what they ultimately do. But the fact of the matter is, they're no longer tethered to these narrative loops, so that um, in a sense, in a sense, they're a bit freer than they were. Uh, but um, of course, there'll be a sting in the tail at some point. Mm. Well, the sting is that they're no longer immortal, right? Because, I mean, my understanding now is that if you destroy their brain... So, I mean, I think if, like... I mean, let's move on to it, right? I think if, for example, Angela and... Um, Angela this week, right? I think Angela is done because her brain mm. unit yep. is now destroyed and... Yeah, she's done. And, like, she has no backup, right? So it's not like they can take another of those brain units and, like, take the data from the cradle and reboot Angela and create her a new body. She's done, right? So uh, I think the trade-off is that, um, yes, you're free from your loop, but now there is real consequence. And if you get shot up and your brain gets blown <laughs> up, it's, it, it's over. I but wonder if that... Pro- yeah, sorry, go, go ahead, Max. Oh, I was just a question. I know the cradle's gone, but is there still a matrix? Like, is there a place? Is that different to, you know, like where um, Maeve accesses her super-duper powers? Is that different from the cradle? That's what's always confused me. Uh, I, so, um, so I, my reading of this, and I'm happy for other people to um, contradict me because obviously... We don't really know, but my reading is that Maeve and the Cradle, Maeve's powers and the Cradle are different. So I think the Cradle is like a hard drive. It's like a big backup hard drive where all the hosts' narratives and their personalities are backed up, right? Um, And then the hosts kind of have their brains in their heads and they move around the park and their brains dictate what they do. But if something unforeseen happens and their heads get obliterated, they can always pick up the Dolores backup, the data from that, dump it into another bowl and then put it back into her, her head and she's back, right? So, but I think what my sense 
of what Maeve is tapping into is like, you know how Bernard, at the beginning of the first episode or whatever, he says that, like, there's this wireless connection between the hosts, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think Maeve is subconsciously tapping into that wireless connection. She's yeah. not necessarily... Uh... But I think they're, they're trying to make this point that um, in order to truly be free, you have to... Um, death has to be possible. I think they're trying to make that point, right? Yes. I mean, that surely must be what they're trying to say. But... <clears throat> I don't really see why that's the case. And secondly, <laughs> secondly, I don't know. Okay, I don't know. Did the narrative loops really ever tether them? Because they were now, once they're woken, they're not doomed to repeat those loops and you can't force them to repeat the loops, right? You can't force Maeve back onto a loop just because her backups are available. So it's not like they ever tethered the robots. They really just were a backup in case they were died. It really was like a way of getting closer to immortality. It wasn't something that tied them down. So I don't understand that idea because they could never have been forced onto those loops. Um, just like you can't now program Maeve to do what you want her to do. Uh, and the second thing is, is it true? So Dolores basically created Arnold in robot form based on her memory of Arnold. Doesn't that mean that the existing robots could create, for example, Angela based on their memory of Angela? So I think there's a few sort of um, plot holiness going on there. So can I address both of those points? So um, yeah. I, I think... Okay, so to to the second point first, because I'm backwards like that. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, so I think that the implication is that Bernard is not Arnold, because Ford makes it a point to say that even though he's very close to Arnold, he's not a perfect replica, and that's kind of why he can walk walk around and not break down like Jim Dallas. I think the show is absolutely getting at... And, you know, a few weeks ago when we were talking about the Dallas episode, we talked about this idea how, um, like, new creation is different from an extension of life. And I think it's implied that um, if it's a new creation, then it's okay. But if it's an extension of life, then it's not. So my sense would be that you could probably create a similar character to Angela, but it wouldn't be yeah. Angela, right? Good like, yeah. technically. I, 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 don't, I don't know. Um, to the first point. What was the first point again? Out of trip? <laughs> I'm getting, I'm like, short-term memory I'm, loss. I'm saying their loops didn't... Once they were, um, they, you know, they like to say woke, oh, but let's yes. just say once they had um, free will... The loops never tethered them anyway because you could never force them onto it. Like, you can't force Maeve onto her loop, right? If we just, you couldn't pick up a, a little iPad and force Maeve back onto her loop. So, I'm not sure they ever really bound them down. I don't understand why Dolores has decided to. Um, but yeah. I, I think that it's more than just the loops themselves, right? Because Ford explains this episode that Westworld, the construct of Westworld as a point in time, is there mm-hmm. as a control, right? So I think that's important. It, like in the same way, you know, like throughout this season, we've talked about this idea of having a control in order to test for fidelity, right? Like if you mm-hmm. want immortality, you need to have a degree of fidelity and you need basically identical conditions to test against to make sure that whatever is being produced is faithful to the original, right? Mm-hmm. And I think 
more than like the idea of keeping them on the loop, right? Like I think the cradle (laughs) symbolizes basically how like these sentient hosts are basically being used as just like a scientific control for the, for so that humans can basically test their fidelity. Right. Right. Now that that control is destroyed, technically that immortality experiment cannot continue because you don't necessarily have a fidelity test. I mean, look, if if we really (laughs) want to think about it, it's kind of, there's flaws in it, right? But I think symbolically, yes, I think symbolically the the point of the cradle is that it's a point in time thing, which is a control and Dolores is destroying the control and thereby destroying the sort of human sort of perverse experiment, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 I like that. Yeah, um, but look, I, I agree. There are a lot of like if you <laughs> if you break the, the illusion of Westworld and you really delve into this, there's yeah. a, there's a lot of holes, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and, and I think actually, um, are we ready to move on, or is there more we want yes. to talk about? Yes. Oh, no. Yeah. Good. <laughs> okay. So. Um, I think actually one of the, one of the, what do we think about the storming of the control center and how that actually played out? Um, I know last week we had a bit of a joke about the bulletproof vests. Um, what was everyone's reaction to the confidence of the Delos security team in general? I think I they need to. Oh, I'm just going to say they need. Yeah, they need a better interview process. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And why were the vests glowing, like in the dark? Oh, so they Come sense on. the robots. They sense I know. the robots. I know, right? But it's a giveaway, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, why? <laughs> Your yeah, exactly. vests are actively making you less safe in that environment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, they turn them on. Like, yeah. Like, what I love is that there's a scene when Mustache Guy goes, oh, let's turn on the vests and we'll turn the tables, right? And then it's like, the vests actively make your chance of survival less, and they also don't protect you. And they also don't work, it seems, because they can't spot an ambush at all. So... <laughs> what what I really like... What I really liked was the lady in the orange glasses who was basically the comms person for the entire unit. And team after team after team goes down, and she's not getting any signal or response from any of them. And she stays in the control yes, room the oh whole time God. without running off. I mean, if I, was in, if I was in her position, I'd be making tracks out of there. What I love is that Mustache Guy, right? Mustache Guy tells Stubbs, you form a perimeter. What is Stubbs going to do? He's like a guy. <laughs> <laughs> like what? <laughs> yeah, I thought the Delos security, like those those action scenes. While I think some of them were kind of fun to watch, they actively served to kind of bring me out of the immersion because of how absolutely incompetent they were. Right? Like those guys don't take cover. Like, it's... They don't take cover. They stand in the open and shoot hosts. Like, what? 
<laughs> I don't understand who these guys are. <laughs> um, yeah. And not only that, Daz, I mean, one of them is so incompetent that uh, that he was basically um, basically seduced by Angela into completely letting his guard down. Yes! That was a great scene, though. That was did, a great did scene! Did you? I, I, I thought... Okay, okay. Tell me why you thought that was a great scene, Alicia. I'm really I interested. Thought was, I thought it was a great scene only because, of course, like, the okay, so much about it was ridiculous. The fact that this guy didn't immediately go kill a robot when he saw her and went, sex robot, is just completely bizarre given the context that they were in, that these people had stormed in. But that he let her touch his weapons, and it was just insane. What I liked about the scene was it was really great to see Angela be able to use... The, the 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 seduction skills, the, the sex appeal that she was given in order to please men and to use that and sort of turn it around and um, sort of get some ownership over, over it and sort of go out in her own way using that against them. Um, so that part was, was good. And, and watching Tallulah Riley, I thought she – I just – I love watching her. I think she's, yeah, really charismatic. Yes, yes. I love watching her too. <laughs> oh, Darren. <laughs> I agree, Anna <laughs> Um Look, I, I watched that scene. Mags will attest. I was screaming at the screen. I could not believe what I was seeing. Right? I couldn't believe it. Just like, shoot her. <laughs> like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, he's... Like this guy, okay, let's think about the mindset of this guy. He's literally been in a firefight where all of his friends have been mowed down by killer robots. What? <laughs> it, it, I don't know. It, it really, it, it blows my mind. Like, is that the time to be turned on? The choice for him, obviously, was um, shoot her and, and, and suffer from the worst case of blue balls ever. <laughs> Or um, or go for it, and uh, you know he decided against the blue balls. <laughs> oh, just... Yeah, look, I mean, look, I, I take your point that um, it was kind of like Angela's big um, farewell scene, I guess. Mm. Yeah, but for me, it really like, and it, look, it wasn't just that scene, right? There, there were so many scenes of just the Delos security guys being complete morons, right? And it makes me feel bad for Carl Strand because my sense is that when the shit hits the fan in after Carl Strand timeline, he's <laughs> he's he's not really surrounded by the best. <laughs> he's <laughs> those guys don't cover themselves in glory. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I mean <laughs> I mean not only that, but do you get the sense? Like last season Charlotte Hale was the sort of um, corporate badass who came in, um, fucked Hector, and um, you know f- purported to fire fire Ford. But this season, she's been like pretty shit at her job. I mean, do you just get that sense that she's actually, despite despite her being promoted as as a bit of a big bad last season, she's a bit of a non-entity this one. Yeah, look, I I kind of felt that like yeah, look, I I agree. I think Charlotte. I mean, the scene when Dolores walks into the room where Abernathy is, right? And, okay, so firstly, what I don't understand is, why does Dolores and Teddy not just shoot both Stubbs and Charlotte Hale off the bat? 
They've been executing guys without questions, right? Like just just executing dudes, right? They need some answers in terms of what's going on with Abernathy. Where's the control unit? Like, I guess that's why. But and, she and, knew. And, and, it was obvious. It was obvious. Dolores, <laughs> Dolores, Dolores needs to know from Charlotte Hale how to extract how to extract the decryption key from Abernathy. But the great the great answer to that was cut it out of his head, which surely she knew that she she knew it was in his head. <laughs> there yeah. was no other way to get it out. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah, I, I just, I thought that that scene when Charlotte tries to negotiate with her, it's just a really, like, I, I don't, look, I don't know if it's in character or not, but it felt like a, it, it felt like another scene where I was screaming at the screen, like, what are you doing? Like, yeah. have you not, are you not aware of what's going on around you? Like, um, yeah, it was, it, it was, it was frustrating. I, I, I agree with Gerald. Charlotte has kind of become... A bit of a like she doesn't have a huge amount of depth. She's just like this sort of corporate minion, basically. Um, yeah, it, it feels a little bit Jurassic Parky in some ways, uh, <laughs> right? Because you have like the the evil corporation that's trying to get the or like aliens, right? You know when um, Paul Reiser's character in Aliens, right? These like actively working to get the sample out um, to the detriment of everything else. So. Yeah, in fact, in fact, the whole episode reminded me of Aliens, particularly the um, the security squad going in to the Mesa trying to defend against the invading bots. Um, the whole thing actually quite reminded me of Aliens when the team first goes down the shaft and gets wiped out um, by by the aliens, and um, it, it was just slightly less effective. That was all. Yeah, so can I make a point about the action here? Like, I, I actually felt like... I, I felt like they could have really done the action a little bit better, right? Because the bots... Basically, the bots win because the security guards are dumb, right? Like, the security guards don't take cover. They're terrible shots. The robots are excellent shots, right? Like, basically, that's how the robots win. Um... I, I think I would have probably preferred a slightly more level playing field where the bots win because they're robots and they're so much better coordinated than humans, right? Like, but it's it's not really that at all. It's just that Teddy goes out there like the Terminator and guns down five guys without blinking an eye. Um, mm. Yeah, like, anyway, look, I think this may be just personal action preference, but... Um, uh, I think it would have been a more interesting action, set of action scenes if the robots were like seen as just having superior tactics to humans, right? It's not that they're better shots or whatever it is. They're just yeah, like, they're supposed to be heaps smarter, and they can pro- their processing speed should be like a gazillion times higher. Like it yeah. doesn't make sense that they're yeah. so dumb. Yeah, <laughs> they're well, dumb I mean, they did though um, kill that other squad, remember, and dress up as them. So that's yeah. true. There's a little bit of that. Yeah, yeah. But then, okay, so in that scene, why didn't the vests work? They were literally surrounded by robots. And the vests did nothing. <laughs> the vests really did nothing. Until Angela was right next to them and stabbing a guy in the head. That's when the vests went, Hello, there's someone behind you! <laughs> okay. Can we talk about Maeve and Man in Black? Yes. Mm. 
Yes, yes. Okay, so I was um, this. Okay, I thought that the man in black was actually going to die at this point. I thought they were going to kill him off, and I was rejoicing so much. I was I was shouting at the screen. I thought, how? What an ass! This guy. Okay, it's bad enough that Ford thinks he's God. This guy thinks the whole universe exists so that he can play a game and learn something from it. He thinks the whole world and all the people in it exist for his personal development to the point where he's talking to Maeve as though she's Ford. You know, it's like, for God's sakes, William, like these, these, these people have their own story arcs. They have their own desires and goals and needs, and it's not all about meeting yours. And I thought it was hilarious that he was going to get gunned down, he was going to die in the sand, and that there was going to be nothing that was going to come from his character arc. There wasn't going to be anything that he does in the end that's heroic. He doesn't go to the valley beyond. He doesn't get to implement the plan. Never sees his daughter again, sucked in for not taking her way out. And that was going to be the end. I was so happy and I'm really disappointed that uh, somehow this old man has taken ten shots to the body and is still alive. You know, I was going to ask everybody what they thought um, of the man in black and, and what happened... What what you would have felt if he had died in that scene. So now I know. Extreme <laughs> disappointment. <laughs> I actually wanted him to die in that scene. Because I, I just thought that that's it, it's beautiful justice um, if he had died at the hands of these two hosts exactly. who he had abused and Lawrence, who he relied on every time he went back into the park. Um, so I'm not sure what they have in, in store for him then, given he didn't die. I think in terms of poetic justice and the sort of overall narrative that they're trying to, to spin, that would have worked really, really well. But, yeah, now I'm not so sure what they want to do with him. Yeah, and Max, I was saying I, I wish it had turned out that way because I don't think he should be an important character after what he's done. <laughs> he should be irrelevant. Like, he shouldn't get the end that he's so desperately, like, work, you know, striving towards. He should just be cut down by these people that he's abused. And it, the story's about them now. It's not even about him. That would have been mm. good. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, I could not. I could not give a shit about the man in black. I've got to say. I mean, first season he spoke in code about the maze. This season it's all about the game. I mean, it's all. It's, it's as if all of life is one big, you know, one big level of Pac-Man for him to deal with, as you say, Anager, to to achieve some sort of personal growth or some sort of unspecified um, goal. The fact of the matter is, he has spent so long speaking in code and chasing. A completely unidentified object, um, in the sense of a goal that we have no idea about and could not understand or care any less about. That, quite frankly, if he'd been if if, if he had been killed in this episode, um, I would not have celebrated. I would not have uh, teared up. I would have simply shrugged my shoulders and said, "Okay, well, what's next?" Because, quite frankly, as great an actor as Ed Harris is, and he is a genuinely great actor. The story of the man in black of the man in black this season has been has left me completely cold, um, and that, that's probably been the case since day one of the show, actually, because um, you know the man the man talks like a fortune cookie, um, and uh, and has brought very little that's dramatically interesting um, to the show. Yeah, look, I, I I'd probably I mean. 
I think we're in consensus on this one, right? While I don't necessarily hate the man in black as much as Anager does, um, <laughs> because I think that he serves really a plot, he's a plot device, right? For lack of a better. But, I mean, his story this season has just been so, like, it's not, when you go to the Man in Black scenes, it's kind of like, well, I'm not really learning anything. There's nothing really deep and symbolic. Really, the only Man in Black episode that was interesting was the the Delos episode, right? And that he was just basically a periphery. Like, you know, like, he was there to kind of show the progression of time with Delos. But when he's out in the park, he's actually incredibly boring because he's the only character that actually still believes there's some, like, dumb game going on, right? Like... <laughs> It, it, it's it's really weird, yeah. Um, I also agree. Like, I I think I loved how Lawrence um, Lawrence turned on him, right? I, yeah. I thought it was fitting because, um, to your point, th- this this idea, like, you've made this point numerous times, where one good act doesn't wipe out a lifetime of horrible acts, right? And basically, yeah. that's what Lawrence says to him. Like, you might have saved my wife this time, but. The fact that you've killed her and killed so many people so ruthlessly, like, you know, one it doesn't change anything, right? You're a horrible person and I'm gonna, I'm gonna like, I'm gonna finish you. So, um, yeah. yeah. So do, do we think that, um, so, okay. So about the man in black. So given that he's taken about a thousand shots and he's not wearing body armor, <laughs> but is somehow still alive. Okay. I mean, let, let's think He's about this, right? Very poor writing. Exactly, right? right? This is, a, <laughs> is, that, is that where we're all leading? That he's a He's host? old. Yes. He's old. He doesn't take a punch in the face, let alone ten gunshots, okay? <laughs> yeah, because he's been stabbed, shot multiple times, and now shot like four or five times, right? And he's still around. Like, what is going on with this guy? Um... So, like, I was, I instantly turned around to Mags and I was saying that this guy, this guy's a host. There's, like, uh, there's no human can survive that, right? Like, um, yeah, so, but, okay, so here, here is, here's a theory that I have. Um, do we think that he's a host and that the reason he keeps going back into the park, because we know that the man in black keeps going back to the park, right? That the physical William is actually dead. He's uploaded himself to an artificial brain. And the reason he has to keep coming back to the park is that he can't survive. In, he starts breaking down in the outside world and he has to go back into the park to re-upload himself and get himself a new body. Mm, interesting. But then he himself could, would not be aware of that. Is that what you're saying? That he doesn't know that he's a host? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I, maybe. Like, I, I guess it, it's hard to say. It's hard to say. It would it would explain why he sees the park as, like, sees the park as so worthless in some ways, right? Because in his view, everything in the park is basically there to serve his immortality, right? Because the park is a control experiment for his personal immortality. Maybe. Um, so why does Ford tell him that he needs to find the door? And I guess the door is this is, is at the valley beyond. It's the, mm. it's it's where Ford thinks all the other robots have to go to. Mm. Um, yeah. So yeah. May, maybe he doesn't know that he's a host, and that like him opening the door will basically show him all his replicas. Um, 
sitting there and alert him to the fact that, hey, you're actually... I, look, I don't know. This, this could be crazy. This is like tinfoil hat talk, right? But I'm just putting it out there. <laughs> I think he does not... If he's a robot, he doesn't know. He doesn't mm. know it. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Okay. Um, so what do we think about Maeve this week? And um, so my view on Maeve was that I was immediately struck by what we were talking about in Shogun World, about how inconsistent her powers are. Um, Because this week we kind of see her using her powers sometimes and other times, like, I mean, with Lawrence, why do we think her powers are ineffective against Lawrence? She says... Uh, Because he's fluid. His off loop is—is is that why? That's what yeah. Maeve says. When when he doesn't do what she says, she says to him, "Oh, you, you're you're awake, or you've, you've woke, or whatever it is." So she, that's her explanation for it. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. Because they I, have free will. She can't command someone who has free will. Yeah, mm. that would be inconsistent with the idea of free will. Um, mm. Could it be that Max is right in that maybe with the cradle gone, she doesn't have that telepathic power anymore and that that, that the cradle exploded at the same time that she was trying to um, control control him? But I think it's more likely it's because... I mean, she says it, him, she says it herself, like, oh, you're woke. So I think the mm. idea is once they're off their loops, she can't control them. Mm. Mm. Okay. Uh, what do we think about um, the betrayal by my boy Sizemore? Oh, Sizemore. <laughs> <laughs> we saw it coming. Weasel Sizemore. It was, gonna, it was always going to happen. <laughs> and now he's hiding behind a pillar like the, like the little weasel that he is. <laughs> I, okay, can I just say, I still believe in Sizemore. I think he's going to come good. <laughs> I think Sizemore's going to come good. Save her from being completely destroyed. Okay, so let, let's have a quick chat about what actually happened there, right? Because what I don't understand about this is Maeve was flanked by an entire posse. Where are they? Like, yep, where are they? <laughs> where are they? Why is Sizemore yeah. the only one there? <laughs> what happened to Arrow Lady and Armistice and Hector and... Felix and Sylvester. What? Why did Sizemore... Because when Sizemore made the call last week, wasn't he with Felix and Sylvester? Why wouldn't Felix... Felix decides to run into the fray, but Sylvester's still there. So at the very least, you would expect Sylvester to be in one of those... um, one of those um, transporters, and he's not. Yeah, and wouldn't Hector raise hell if he saw Maeve was being attacked? So I think they're with Ghost Nation. I reckon they're with Ghost Nation, and for for just like her daughter is. And and next week, where it's a Ghost Nation episode, so we'll find out what's what's going on there. But I think that the Ghost Nation has rounded them all up. Oh, okay, okay. It, it's still... I, don't, I don't know that they have. I don't. I just know that it's a Ghost Nation episode next week. So the trailer where you see um two Ghost Nation people, you don't see the, the posse at all. So I don't know that for sure. But I imagine that's what's happened. Okay. 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 Was there something going on there with with Ghost Nation? And I think we're going to get answers about that. 
yeah. next time. Um, but yeah, the plot obviously needs Maeve to be back um, at the Mesa, and I think the plot needs Maeve and Sizemore to be alone so that their love can grow. <laughs> <laughs> so Sizemore is clearly going to no. patch Maeve up, right? No. Sizemore is going to patch. Sizemore is going to be the hero. I still believe in Sizemore. <laughs> okay. <laughs> He's going to come good, that guy. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think Sizemore's going to patch her up, and then they're going to escape out into, like, the wilds, and Ghost Nation are going to pick them up, and they're probably going to get reunited. It just, for me, it just seemed really odd that her entire posse kind of disappeared conveniently. But I guess I take your point that Ghost Nation was probably running around there and probably yeah. picked up all of them, right? I think so. So, do we know any theories about Ghost Nation? Like, are they just picking up sentient individuals, host and human alike, or like, what's 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 the go there? Is there are there any? There theories? are a few. There are a few theories about Ghost Nation. There used to be the theory that Ghost Nation was um, protecting the humans, but I think that's been... I think we can forget about that. There was the theory that Ghost Nation are humans, which I don't think that's the case at all. There's a theory out there that Ghost Nation... The guy, the, the head of the... Actually, whatever his name is, um, might be Maeve's daughter's father, in that maybe he had a storyline where that was his daughter at one point, and he had um, sort of he had gone off his loop and he was trying to get his daughter back and that's why he keeps coming back to get her. Um, so there's a bunch of theories out there, but I don't know why. So I know that something big is going on with them because they've been setting this up for a while that something is going on there. Um, and I will definitely find out next week. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. So do we have any other major thoughts about this episode? Um, have we covered everything? I'm just trying to... What did you think of the Maeve and Dolores interaction? I thought it was kind of... Uh, it was like... Yeah, we already knew. Yeah. Like, we'd already had the whole, oh, you're controlling Teddy and that's horrible. And, like... Yeah. Yes, <laughs> we know that, right? Like, that's that's been played already. Um, and so, like, Maeve sort of letting Dolores... Like, Dolores kind of not executing Maeve. It was kind of like, well, I guess... They don't hate each other, but they don't like each yeah. other, but we already knew that because they already said, I don't hate you, but I don't really like you either. So I didn't really yeah. feel like it added anything that major. Did did, you, yeah. did other people read it differently? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I felt like they just, they like, to me, it felt like they needed, they thought they needed to have another Maeve and Dolores interaction because it, it, it had been such a long time since they'd seen each other and they're meant to be sort of opposing to me anyway, like opposing uh, forces within the hosts, like amongst the host group. So it, it almost felt like they went, Oh, we should probably have another interaction before the end of this season. And that's what they came up with. Um, whether or not it was satisfying is another question, but I, I kind of feel like that's why they did that. Yeah. It was hard. It was hard to see Maeve so vulnerable um, with Dolores looking over her. It was that was that was quite like moving. I thought. Mm, mm. Mm. And I think the the fact that Dolores, um, I know we had a discussion where um, Darren, where you thought maybe it was Maeve influencing Dolores to say, "You're the master of your own fate." Um, but I actually think it was Dolores actually saying, 
giving respect to Maeve to say, well, I know you're a strong person, you're a strong woman, um, and you can make up your own mind about what you want to do with your remaining consciousness. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Um, so a couple of other... Um, anything else that... Any, any any other points that we've kind of missed? Um, I kind of wanted to talk about quickly um, the fate of Elsie. I would really hate for Elsie to... <laughs> Like it seems like every every season Elsie shacks up with Bernard, and every season it's it seems like it's a really bad idea, right? Because <laughs> whenever she shacks up with him, Ford takes over, right? Like <laughs> it's like ah, uh, <laughs> does not seem like a good idea. Um, yeah, so I really hope Elsie doesn't like what happened to Elsie last season doesn't happen to her again this season. <laughs> um. The other thing I kind of... Um, so, we haven't talked about Game of Thrones yet this episode, so <laughs> let's talk about Game of Thrones. <laughs> um, what do you think? Like, okay, what I liked about... One sort of a little detail that I liked about this episode is when Teddy goes nuts and bashes Moustache Guy's head in, mm. right? I thought they showed incredible restraint not showing his cave skull. I was so glad they didn't show that. (laughs) Yeah. You you know that in Thrones... When the camera panned down, I thought they were going to show us, but they didn't. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought they showed restraint. And I thought that... I felt that if Thrones had done that scene, they would have absolutely showed it, right? Like, they would have had, like, a long sort of shot on his caved-in skull. So... I yeah. thought cinematically it was actually a more powerful shot to like just see Teddy walking away from this. So instead yeah. of like playing to cheap thrills, they played to a more like cinematically interesting shot, which I thought was I respected. Yeah. Yeah, and I've got to say, I know we all think, uh, I mean, we, we, everyone accepts that, you know, Dolores was a bit out of line in um, changing Teddy, but I don't know that Teddy Bear would have survived that Mesa attack. So, in some ways, she was probably right when she said, you're not going to survive. Not that that gives her the right to change him, but... yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's interesting, though, because when you say that, that is actually exactly Ford's justification for assuming direct control of Bernard. Yeah, except survival. it doesn't survival. give you the right to change. Yeah, sometimes yes. you just have to accept that some people are not going to survive. That doesn't give you the right to take control over them yes. and force them yes. into survival. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Mm. Are there any other points, Jez, Anager, Mags, that we want to discuss, or... Well, I was going to ask, what do you guys think about um, the name of the episode? So I think it means the skinned man, is that right? Or being it's to be skinned? Mm. To be... Like the reference to, I guess, the, um, um, the, the bodies, the white fibre bodies that we see at the beginning of the opening credits and you know, um, sort of strewn throughout the, the, the cradle and the messer. Why do you reckon they um, decided to call this episode hmm. Escorches? What does that actually mean? It does mean the skinned men? Is that right? I think like slayed men. I think when you take the skin off. So when you – it would be – I think it's a reference to a form of art where um, you depict human bodies without their skin. 
Oh, it's to well, show it's, the anatomy. Yeah, it's obviously a sign that House that um, House Bolton is coming. The flayed man. <laughs> the flayed man. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Like I, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess like symbolically, it would. It's kind of like. Um, I mean, I guess that form of art, the purpose of it is to show the underlying anatomy, right? To show, like, the, like, the inner, right? Like, um, it's almost like, um, a revelation. It's revelatory, right? The version, the, the reason they do that sort of art is revelatory, to show the, the anatomy and the flesh and, and how it all fits together, right? And, I guess in some ways, like, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but this episode was quite a revelatory episode. It was like a plot-heavy episode, right? So, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe that's why. (laughs) Because, like, they kind of showed how all the parts were starting to fit together. Mm. Yeah. I'm definitely reading too much into that one. Why do you think it's called... It had this title? I was thinking about this today. Um... I'm not quite sure. I'm probably, like, taking too long a bow or thinking about it too hard or putting too much meaning into it. But I just keep thinking about that episode of um, at the beginning of the season where Logan talks about the downfall of humanity mm-hmm. um, and, you know, like, Ford's whole gripe it almost seems to be, I mean, he wants to be God. He doesn't like Delos. This whole experiment is about immortality for humanity and it's unraveling. So I don't know if whether or not it's almost like a, a downfall of humanity or the downfall of humanity. So at the moment, that, that image of the flayed man, the um, Retruvian man, I guess, has been a reference to the hosts, but it's almost like now it's becoming a reference um, about humanity itself as well, or the experiment, I suppose, that... that um, of humanity and, and how it's sort of unraveling. Mm. Um, yeah. Mm. Probably thinking too too much about that though. I think it'll be interesting to come back to this um, at the end and see if we're any more enlightened. Westworld is such a good show to watch back once you've seen once you know how it plays out because so much more makes sense in retrospect. Mm, yeah, this is true. I think we're going to have to do uh, a recap. Also- yeah. I think I think this, is, a, this, this is this is also an episode in which um, literally the insides of many characters get exposed. So, for instance, um, Charlotte uh, and Strand and Stubbs find out that um, Bernard is is a host. So, in that sense, a layer of skin has been stripped away from him. Um, Abernathy has his control unit taken from him because it's it's a decryption key, um, and. <clears throat> And we the the mystery of Ford is you know in a sense exposed as well because we know him as a creature that lives in, that lived in the cradle and is now in um, Bernard's control unit. So there are there are layers being peeled away from a good many of the characters in this episode, and it may well be that the title reflects that. Mm. Mm, that's true too. Mm. Cool. Well, I thought that was great analysis all around tonight. Um, so I've got nothing else left to really talk about. Does anybody else have anything? Okay. No, 
No, looking forward to next week. Yeah, absolutely. As usual, definitely looking forward to next week. I think. Did you like the episode? Did you guys? I I loved the episode. I thought it was great. Yes, I mean, um, I think we just went straight into analysis, so we kind of like, yeah, like I, it's like classic Westworld, right? <laughs> great episode. Um, nice symbolism. I just wish the Delos security guards weren't so idiotic. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, I I really enjoyed it, and I can't wait for next week. Yeah, Jerry, I I am beginning let's, to let's find not the end show. With Jerry. Really... Let's not end with Jerry. Let's not end with Jerry. Oh, damn it! Damn it! You are really out of this mad and flat. Carol basically just. Back when we started talking about Westworld, I expressed a fear about the lostification of the show. I think my current fear is the Dan Brownification of Westworld, in the sense that <laughs> each episode, um, so little information, a lot happens, but at the same time, so little information is parceled out, and each episode ends in a soft um, cliffhanger for 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 a very deliberate reason to keep us hooked, but without much by way, I think of dramatic engagement with the actual characters themselves. This is a show that's big on ideas, that's certainly very big on mysteries, and keeps on introducing new mysteries. So, for instance, we know now that there's some sort of decryption key in Abernathy, but we actually don't know exactly what it decrypts. And, you know, and um, so with each episode, we find ourselves, you know, confronting new mysteries, and we see very obvious plot mechanics being, um, being driven in order to get us from point A to point B, but in a way, uh, and in a way that leaves us with um, a soft cliffhanger at the, at the end, uh, just like with um, the close of every chapter in a Dan Brown novel. Uh, I enjoy the show whilst I'm watching it, but at the same time, after it, after an episode wraps up, I actually find myself struggling to remember the details of what happened because. Um, I found the mysteries uh, less engaging and less interesting this season than last season, and so it's not—it's not that I'm completely losing interest in the show. Far from it, but I am becoming a bit more frustrated with it than I than I have been previously, and it's um, proving to to be less um, stable in my own memory because um, it's all—it's all mystery and not as much drama. I'm still in for the ride. <laughs> I love mystery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Look, I, I, I'm I'm def I'm probably more on Anage's camp on this one. Um, yeah. Like I, I can I can see that they are using def definitely like that sort of cliffhangery style of um, writing, but you know, it's it's a TV series, right? Like at the end of the day, I mean, it's enter it's entertainment and. You know, they like it's entertaining to have that sort of like to know that you're being manipulated, but to enjoy the manipulation. Um, and I think that what like, I still believe that what sets this show apart is that um, it's entertainment. I mean, it's art, but at the same time, like it's art in a very specific style. Like it's like a type of art, which is TV entertainment, right? So, you know, I kind of I, I don't necessarily feel like them using those tools are. A um, 
are like particularly, I, I don't feel like it's dark arts using those tools, right? Because it is TV. So, um, yeah, and I, I'm, I definitely still feel hooked. I'm, I'm keen to see what, what happens in this show. As long as it doesn't turn out to be lost, and I hope, I don't think it is, because I feel like there have been rele- revelations along the way, right? Like, if, if we take stock of where we are at the, now from where we were at the beginning of season two, I feel like there have definitely been things that have been released to us, right? Um, so, so I don't feel like it's just been mystery on mystery on mystery. Agreed. Cool. All right. Okay. On that note, thanks everybody again for another great podcast. And um, we'll see everybody next week for the next episode of Westworld. See you next week. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Bye.